This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right. Haven't been here in four weeks. We missed you guys. Guys? Okay, whatever. Um, so we're a little bit of a, we're a Pasha behind. This week's Pasha is Pasha's Noah. But we didn't learn Pasha's Beratius. And you can't learn Pasha's Noah if you don't learn Pasha's Beratius. Right? So we're going to learn a little bit in Pasha's Beratius. And maybe touch, I don't know if we'll have time, but maybe we'll touch Pasha's Noah a little bit. But we're going to talk a little bit about, a lot about Pasha's Beratius. So, I don't know if she's here tonight, I don't see her, but a girl asked me a question, and that's really the question that I'm going to try to talk about tonight. And the question was, if there was no bad in the world, when Hashem created the world, He created Adam and He created a world where there was no bad, there was no Yetzir Hara, there was only a Yetzir Tov, how could Chava have done a sin if she did not have a Yetzir Hara? If she was Kulay Toiv and she only had a Yetzir Toiv, then how does one sin if you don't have a Yetzir Hara? We know that once she ate from the Yetzir Hadas, so she got a Yetzir Hara. But how did she eat from the Yetzir Hadas if she didn't have a Yetzir Hara? Now there are many answers to this question. One answer is that he was the Nochash and he was outside the body. Hashem did create a Yetzir Hara, but it wasn't inside the body, so it wasn't in your consciousness, so it wasn't that much of a struggle. It was like someone telling you to do something bad. But when you in your own head want to do something bad, then you're telling yourself to do something bad. So when Hashem created the world, He did create a Nachash. And, in the, and the Nachash was bad. But, but He wasn't in her head. And therefore, what happened when she ate from the Eitz Hadas, is when she ate from the Eitz Hadas, from the Tree of Knowledge, He, the Yetzir Hara, got into her and into her head, and then when Adam ate it, it got into his head and his soul, and that's the, the, the nachash, the snake in all of us, that we are continuously fighting, and that is ourselves. He's sort of part of us, and it's much harder to fight yourself. So that's one of the two Um Another terrorism is that, that the Eitz Hadas was the only thing created, this tree of knowledge was the only thing created where you had a choice, where you had Bechira. There was no Bechira, there was no choice in the world. The only choice that a human being could make was eat from the tree or don't eat from the tree. So Hashem put one mitzvah, it was like one mitzvah in the whole world. It was no mitzvah, it was just one mitzvah. The mitzvah was, don't eat from the tree. But that's a little hard to understand because if that was, if, so then that means Hashem put Bechira. If there was Bechira, for Bechira, for choice, there has to be bad. So that means that Hashem did create bad. So then what does that mean that there was no bad when Hashem created the world? So I'm going to go in a totally different direction. And we're going to make Hashem learn a very important lesson from the direction I'm going to go. Now, Perek Beis, Pasuk Dalet, it says the following. These are the products of, of heaven and, and, the, and the world and the, and the land. Behi Bar'om. As they were created. On the day Hashem made Shemayim Arts. It sounds extremely repetitive. Right? What does it have to say? When He created, we know Hashem created. We said before that Hashem created the Shemayim Arts. So why does this Pasuk have to say? So it says that the word if you scramble the letters, spells Avraham. Behibaram spells Avraham. So what the Pasuk is telling us here is that the whole world was created for Avraham. And there's a mission in Perkeyavos in the fifth parak that says, Asare, Asare, Dairais, May Noach and Avraham. There were ten generations from Noach to Avraham. They sinned. And then along came Avraham. And he took credit for all ten generations. What do you mean he took credit? He wasn't even alive in those generations. And the answer is that he, if it, if it wasn't for him, those ten generations from Noah, there would have never been a Teva, there would have never been, after the Mabel, the world would have been destroyed, there would have been the end of the world. The reason Hashem created the world and kept the world going is only because of Avraham Avinu. Why only because of Avraham? What about Yitzhak Yaakov and all of us? And the answer is that we, we, the reason Hashem created this world, why Hashem created this world altogether? Why do you need this world? And the answer is because God is, is a, is a, is a giver. And, to be able to give, you have to have someone that takes, that's someone that receives. If there's no one to receive, right, then you can't be a giver. You can't give to nobody, right? So therefore, Kishbrochu created a world. It sounds like a, a, a very godly thing to do, to create a world just to give every being in that world what they need. The perfect world. 
That's why Hashem created the world. Before we did the Avera, it was Avra, it was, it was Adam, and it was Chava, and they lived in Gan Eden, in a beautiful house, and they didn't have to work, and everything was brought to them, and there was no sickness, and there was no illness, and you didn't have to make money, and there was the perfect Shalom bias. It was amazing, because everything was good. So whatever she cooked was good. Whatever he said was good. Whatever she wore was good. Whatever he wore... Okay, whatever, whatever. But, right, exactly. Okay, so everything was good. What a world. Everyone walking around like, wow, what a world, right? It was great. And that's the way it was supposed to be. And Hashem was just going to give Shefa and Shefa and Shefa. What happened? We brought Ra into the world. Now the question is, and, and I spoke to the boys about this last night, you know, most people who learn Chumash, okay, there was this woman Chava, and there was this snake, and the snake came, and he talked her into it, and she ate, and she did this big Avera. Like she's some silly woman. Like some snake can talk Chava into doing the biggest Avera, the only Avera. What is she, silly? Now let's talk about who Chava was. Chava had no human DNA. She had no parents. The famous question which my Rebbe Ashley asked me in eighth grade, which took me two weeks and I still didn't get it, was what do we have that Adam and Chava did not have? And I spent two weeks trying to figure it out. Now, by now, everyone tells their kids in class already, so you all know that, that we have belly buttons and Adam and Chava did not have belly buttons because there was no umbilical cord because they had no parents. So there was no umbilical cord. So you have to understand, you know, it sounds like a big joke. It's not a big joke. It's a very serious thing. Because what does that mean? That means the belly button is the connection of the umbilical cord to the mother and father, which means that the child's unica, right, its nutrition comes from human beings. Other than Chava, their nutrition, what they were made out of, what they came from, being they didn't have a belly button and there, there was no cord, was that they were created by Hashem's hands. Now, you have to understand that Chava was not born. Chava was created, she was built by Yiven Hashem. Hashem built Chava from Adam's, not his rib, from his side. He, he built this woman with his own hands. So, this is not some silly lady with a low IQ who's walking past a tree and some snake shows up and says, Hey, I got some questions to ask you. You're talking about a creation of Hashem that had no parents. That its parent, that its whole unique, its whole existence, this woman, this, this, her whole existence was created by Hashem's hands. So you're talking about a brilliant Bina, a brilliant, a wise, a holy woman. How could she make a mistake by some snake talking her into eating from this tree? We have to understand it. You can't just learn this and say, oh yeah, Chava, wow, what, what a silly woman. I can't believe she did this. She was not a silly woman. She was a very holy person. And the way she fell for this is amazing. I'm going to tell you something that you never heard before. I never do that, but tonight I'm going to do that. Let me tell you what her mistake was. Okay, first of all, let's take a look at the psukim. The snake was the shrewdest, the cunning, he was... Very cunning. What did he say to her? He said the following. He said to the woman, Did Hashem tell you that you shouldn't eat from any of the trees? He started a conversation. He opened a conversation. Now, her first mistake, and I talk about this a lot, and I can't talk about it enough. Her first mistake is, what are you doing talking to the snake? He opened the conversation. She didn't open the conversation. He walked over to her and said, So let me tell me a little bit about God. Let's talk about God. Like what did he like like what did God tell you? Like which trees can you eat from? Which trees can you not eat from? At that point she should have said, I don't talk to strange snakes. <laughs> I don't talk to strange men. And, and and if you have any problems and any questions, ask my husband. What are you talking to me for? In fact, she didn't know what Hashem said. She wasn't there. If you look at the psukim, when Hashem came to Adam, she wasn't created yet. Umi'et hadas, 
said Hashem. Don't eat from the Eitzadas. When you eat from the Eitzadas, right, which tells you between good and bad, you will die. Now, he, he misunderstood that, and Chava misunderstood that to mean that it's a poison apple, like in the Seven Dwarfs or whatever, but it wasn't a poison apple, and it wasn't an apple. That's a Goyesha thing, that the, that the tree was an apple tree. It was not an apple tree. The Gemara says it was either an Esther tree or a Chita. It was a wheat or it was, the Medrash says, a vine of grapes, and then she made actually wine from it and brought that to Adam. But it definitely wasn't an apple. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, on the day that you eat from this, it's not poison, you're not going to die on the spot, but you will bring death that one day you will die. He and she understood it to mean, when you eat from the tree, you will die. And that wasn't true. But that was a misunderstanding. Now, she wasn't alive at that point. After that passed, it's not good for a man to be alone. I'm going to make him an Azer. And he created, and he, he, took the, he put Adam to sleep, and he created woman. So that means that she was not there when the commandment came not to eat from the Eitzanas. She wasn't even there. Now, how did the snake know? How did the snake know? That the tree, right? That this tree, if you eat from it, you know good from bad. Who told this to the snake? So the, the, the Avaz Chaim says that the snake was there with Adam, which was his first mistake. Because there's a question in the Torah, it says that Hashem, in the Chumash, it says Hashem put him into Ganadin and so that he could guard it and he could work it. We know that Adam didn't work anything until after he did the sin. So what does it mean that he should, that he could work it? So it's not tonight's share, but in Ganadin, anything you planted in the same moment that you put the seed in the ground, the plant grew, the fruit grew, it, like if you planted grapes, the grapes, the vine grew, the grapes grew, and they, they made wine. It all happened in one second, in one, in one, so, so what it meant, lo'avdo means just to plant it, but you didn't have to do any work. He wasn't sweating. He didn't have to do anything. So, he didn't want to do this all by himself, so he, there was no chav at the time. So he went out and he brought the snake into Ganeiden to be his servant. He wanted a servant. So he brought the snake in to be his servant. Why the snake? Because the snake stood, stood like a human and it also spoke. It spoke Hebrew. It spoke the language. So he wasn't going to go take some tiger to go plant. He took the snake, which was his first mistake, and he brought him into Ganeiden. So the snake was there when Hashem told Adam, if you eat from the tree, you will die, and you also know good from bad. That's how he knew. Because Chava never, Chava didn't, no one ever told him this. He knew this. He told this to Chava. So now, so the first mistake, ladies, is that you don't get into a discussion with a man. You're not allowed to. We would have all been saved had she said, listen, I wasn't even there. Don't come ask me, can you eat? Can you eat? What you get? I wasn't even there. Talk to my husband. Hashem spoke to him. I wasn't there. But, now you have to remember the snake is the Eight Sahara. He knows all of us and he knows how we work. So the first thing to take a woman, to, to, to cause a woman to sin or to cause a man to sin is to get their attention so that you can talk to them. The way to get a person's attention is to ask them a question. Because when you ask somebody a question, that means that you believe, listen carefully, this is, I'm talking from the snake side. Not that I'm a snake, but I'm telling you what, how he works, okay? When, listen carefully. When you ask a person a question, you give them a certain amount of cover. You're giving them a certain amount of respect, because if you're asking them the question, it means you think they know the answer. So if I want to get your attention, and I want to cause some type of relationship between me and you, the first thing I need to give you is respect. Because most of us don't get respect. And respect is extremely refreshing. And all of a sudden you're in your office and some non-Jewish guy or even a Jewish non-religious guy comes over to a girl and says, you know, I see every day that you wear your skirt and it's below your knee. Could you explain to me why? So he is giving you this, re- this respect. Wow! It's the first time someone asked me a question and thinks I have the answer and only I have the answer. And right away, all your guards, all your guards, everything that you learned about men and everything you learned about everything, drops to the floor because respect brings kavod. And kavod is a very hard thing to fight. So when this nocha showed up and said, what did Hashem tell you? What's the deal? She had two choices. One to say, 
sorry, you know, I'm not, I'm not as great as Adam. I wasn't there. I didn't hear Hashem speak, you know. My husband heard him. Let's, you know, you'll have to ask him. But that's belittling herself. Or say, oh, I got all the answers. Because she got the kavod. And this leads, girls, no matter how many times I'm going to tell this to you, this leads to a new expression that I came up with. I got a, 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 an email from a girl, whatever it is, that she, she's talking to somebody, and we all do, on the computer, on the internet, and he happens to be a married guy. He happens to be a single girl. What do I want What's wrong? I don't meet him. Chas Rishon is not a problem. Nagia, I don't touch him. So he tells me his problems, and I tell my, my and I tell him my problems. And and uh, I got this in June. And and what's wrong with it? He's like my father, except he's married. And I sent back an email. This is not going anywhere good. And I just got an email back about a, not that long ago. Uh, bottom line, in the middle somewhere, in the middle, in the middle of all the words that she was tining all these things about it's not bad and it's, it won't be bad and, and, and I'm not, we're not doing anything and, and what's wrong with this? In the middle, in the middle, in the middle? I love him. I love him. In the middle, mixed in all the Yiddish card and the front card and all the brain stuff and how she twisted the whole story around. Three words. I love him. So I said, that's it. That's it. I'm sending back a text. And I'll tell you what I sent back. I said, you want to know if there's nothing wrong with what you're doing? Why don't you invite his wife? If there's nothing wrong, then you should, he should give you his, your, his wife's phone number and you should call her up and say, Hi, you know the four hours last night that your husband was in the office? He wasn't working. He was talking to me. And the six hours on Sunday he was supposed to take your kids out, he was busy texting me. And if she says, okay, hey, what am I going to say? But I don't think you're going to do that. And I don't think he's going to let you do that. So I coined a new word. And I said, there's physical adultery and there's emotional adultery. I said, and you're chayiv because you are doing emotional adultery. Because you are stealing that man's heart and that man's time from his wife. You're a ganath. You're a ganath from his wife, from his children, and you'll pay. And Hashem watches everything. And one day your husband is going to be talking to some single girl on the internet because everything has me the connected me the. So, and, th- and this is my share tonight. I'm going to show you tonight that Chava ate from the Eitz Hadas to do the biggest Kiddush Hashem that was ever done. Yeah? Not to do an Avera, but to do the glorification Kiddush Hashem. The glorification of God's name. She was doing the biggest mitzvah like this girl. The biggest mitzvah. He's got problems. He needs someone to talk to. So I'm there for him. Now, why can't she step away? Because if he's asking me questions and he's asking me my opinion, that gives me self-respect. That makes me somebody and I need to be somebody. And that was her whole mistake. Her whole mistake is she should have told the Nachash. I don't, if you have a question, ask my husband. If you have a question, Halacha, you want to know why my skirt is so long? Go ask the rabbis on AskTheRabbiH.com. Why are you asking me? And this happens in college very often that you sit in a class and a guy comes in, a Muslim and a Christian and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and, they, and they, they come to the firm girl and they want to start with them and they start, they're not going to say, hey, what's happening? Because you're going to walk right out the door. They're going to say, tell me a little bit about more about your religion. Why can't you talk to us? Why can't you like go into, you know, we could go into your like shuls, but why can't you go into like a church? What are the rabbis scared? All these questions, questions. And the basis of it is just a snake. That's not really what they want. And you feel good. 
If this guy in my class asks me a question, he's not Jewish, and I don't answer him, and I'm telling him like, listen, Jewish girl, we don't, you know, we, we don't talk to men. If you really want to know the answer, you can ask the rabbi in the Hillel house. If you really want to know the answer, what are you asking me? Ask the rabbi in the Hillel house. Right? But instead of doing that, Kish Hashem. Because, because if I walk away and I don't answer him, then he's going to think I'm the Jews thing, have their nose up and that, right? And, and the whole Aveira is going to come. I did a mitzvah. I did a mitzvah. One day in the middle of the whole Mushka Bahabal, whole Mushka Bahabal with this guy, with all the stuff, it might say those three words. But I love him. Because that's what the Nachash wants. This is all the Nachash. He doesn't want information on why he skirts so long. The Nachash knows why he skirts so long. He has that information. This guy is his shliach, is his messenger to Chatzor Shalom, make you do an Avera. So I'm going to show you how the smartest woman in the whole world did the biggest Avera in the whole world thinking that she was doing the biggest mitzvah. I never gave this year before, so you've never heard this before. Listen carefully. The snake comes to her and says the following. He has this discussion and he says like this. Did Hashem tell you you can't eat from every tree? By time I eat all the nachash. No, let me give you a shear. Let me give you a schmooze. Let me give you a shear. She goes, no nachash. Let me tell you what's going on. I'm allowed to eat from any other tree. But from that tree, I'm not allowed to eat. What are you talking about? Listen carefully. Now remember that the Nachash was there. What did Hashem say? You can't eat from the tree because when you eat from the tree, you're going to die and you're going to know good from bad. That's all he said. What did the Nachash say to, to Chava? Hashem knows. When you eat from the tree, your eyes are going to open. You're going to become like God. When you eat from the Eitz Adas, you're going to become like God. And your day at Toi you're going to know good from bad. Where, where did that come from? Hashem didn't say to Adam, don't eat from the tree, because when you eat from the tree, you're going to become like me. Where did the Nachash get this from? So in every lie, there's a truth. So the Nachash got up and he says to Chava and in front of everybody, if you eat from this tree, you know what's going to happen? If you're going to eat from this tree, you're going to die. But you're going to know good from bad. And you're going to be like God. Said Chava, Oy vey, Oy vey. Everybody's going to walk around in the world and say that the difference between God and us is a fruit on a tree. That any one of us in this room, if we get to the eight Hadas and we pull off the esrig and we bite into it, we can create worlds. We are now God. This is what the, the Pasuk said. This is what the Nachash said. So the Nachash made an announcement. If you eat from this tree, you're going to be like God and you're going to know bad from good. So came along Chava and Chava said, Oh my goodness. I have to prove to everybody that by eating from a tree, you don't become like God. So I'm going to eat from the tree, and I'm going to die. And I'm going to know good from bad, but the whole world will know that eating from a tree cannot make you God. Kiddush Hashem. It's a mitzvah to eat from the tree. Because the Nachash is saying that when you eat from the tree, you're going to become God. I'm going to prove to everybody that if you eat from the tree, you don't become God. You hear? What a tzaddikistah. Hashem should have rewarded her. Why'd she get punished? She showed the whole world that eating from a tree doesn't make you God. And the answer is, the law is the law. Don't translate the law to make it work for yourself. Because in the end, it says that she saw the eights was good to eat. And it was a taiva, so cut the baloney. The bottom line is, you want to eat from this tree. Because to make a Kiddush Hashem, there's many ways to make a Kiddush Hashem. Call an Adam, Adam will tell you that eating from the tree doesn't make you God. Hashem never said that. The basis is, you wanted to eat from the tree, so you came up against the terrets. So all of us, not all of us, I'm talking about myself, when we want to do something wrong, 
we come up with a terrace to make it into a mitzvah. No, a guy told me I had to go to the club with my friend. I really don't like clubs. But I was scared that if he went there, he would start dancing with a girl. So I went there to make sure he doesn't dance with girls. So I was dancing with him. <laughs> and then we met two girls that we happened to know from there. And we ended up going out. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What happened from that night? What happened from that mitzvah of going with his friends to make sure that he doesn't dance with girls? Meshuggah, take your friend to a bowling alley. Take him to a baseball game. Why are you going with him into Sadaim to make sure he doesn't do an Avera? You know why? Because you also wanted to go to the club. The bottom line is you also wanted to go to the club. But I can't go to the club. I'm a tzaddik. So I'm going to go to save my friend. If you really want to save your friend, you would have bought tickets to a Yankee game. You would have got him so drunk that he couldn't leave the house. I don't know. You would have made sure that he didn't get to the club. But you also wanted to go to the club. So there's so many things that we do. If we really look into ourselves, it's really not to do the mitzvah. because I really want to, I want to be there. I want to go there. So I made a whole taich. I made a whole translation in why. The greatest example of this is Sidaim. I'll tell you a story that happened this week. A guy came to my office and he has a, he's a Chesidish guy. And he has a Chesidish friend from a very from family, a very good family. All of a sudden, this guy became an Apikairis. He, he doesn't keep Shabbos. He doesn't, he doesn't, at home he, he plays the part, you know, in front of everyone, but he doesn't go to shul, he doesn't put on his filling, he doesn't keep Shabbos. He specifically ate on Yom Kippur, right? He's an atheist. Rabbi Wallerstein, I need you to talk to him. He became an atheist. He does not believe that God created the world. He believes the Big Bang and the world created itself and itself created itself. And today I happened to have a little bikuach with an atheist, never a Jewish kid who, who never whatever. And, and, and he was explaining to me how there's no God and that everything created itself and quantum physics and quantum physics and quantum physics. And, da, da, da. and I said, bottom line, where did it all come from? It had to come from, he said, it's infinite. It's infinite. It just keeps going and going and going and going and going and going and going. I said, you just described Hashem. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I said, infinite. Hashem's infinite. You just, you just described me God. What are you talking about? Really? I said, yeah, infinite. It keeps going, it keeps going. I said, even in, in science, you learn that something has to come from something. Nothing can come, something cannot come from nothing. Right? So you could have one speck and one neutron and one proton. It became a cell, became a double cell, became a human being. Whatever you want. You, you, you were a protozoa, then you were an amoeba, and then, you, and then you became a frog, and then you became a monkey, and now you're a human being. Very nice. It's a great, it's beautiful to walk around thinking that's where you came from, right? It's a beautiful, I love that theory. Could imagine Darwin's um, self, you know, image of himself. I, I, he wasn't in therapy. Believe me, if he was in therapy, he wouldn't have come up with that, you know, that we came from monkeys. <laughs> right? He didn't think much of himself. He thought coming from a monkey is, wow. Because you could have said I came from a cockroach. You said I came from a monkey. A monkey already knows how to jump. He knows how to peel the banana. Oh, sorry. It's in a good place. There are, there are smart, intelligent human beings walking around this world called science professors, right? Who everyone bows down to. And those Meshugam, as smart as they are, are saying that there's no creation, that we come from monkeys. I would tell them, May, you think you come from a monkey. Don't, don't talk about me where I come from. You know? <laughs> I don't come from a monkey. So this kid today was giving me this whole, this whole schmooze, and, 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 and he, he's a very brilliant boy. And I, and I said, the bottom line is, even in your own science, you know that nothing comes from nothing. It has to come from something. Yeah, but that something is infinite. I said, thank you very much, gracious brother Kim. You got it. We can sit and learn. Beautiful. And that was the poor guy was all twisted when I walked out. He was like, <laughs> I said, we'll talk again. We'll talk again. Just think about what you said. It's infinite. It's infinite. Hashem is infinite. Right. There's no end. There's no beginning. hundred percent. That's exactly what we believe. Hashem is, there's no beginning. There's no end. We say the Nani Hello. You just said an Nani You're brilliant. We'll talk. So, so this guy says to me, Rawalskin, I need you, I need you to, to talk to this Chassidish guy. You got to bring him back. I said, talk, let me, let me, well, how long is this going on? He goes, Two years, two years, nothing, Yom Kippur, nothing. And his wife, like, he, he doesn't, he, and as many friends have come over and want to talk to him, we send, you know, he doesn't believe there's a God. I said, can I talk to you? Can you close the door? He closed the door, I said. You know everything about this guy? I know him very, very well. I said, I'm going to tell you something. Just tell me if it's true. He said, what? I said, he's having an affair with another woman. He's married and he's having an affair. 
This guy looks at me. Kabbalah? You're Makubal? Huh? <laughs> I'm the only one that knows. I'm his best friend. I'm the only one. You're, you're right. For the last two years, yeah, you're right. He's, he's having an affair. Huh? You shorted his name? I said, you didn't tell me his name. Huh? You're Makubal? At that point, I could have made a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I said, it's, it's simple. It's simple. I said, what came first? The relationship or the non-believing in God? A million to one, the relationship. Because now he had to do an Aveira. And he had to make the Aveira kosher. How can he believe in God and believe in the Torah where it says you can't commit adultery and he's going to go commit adultery? So now that he has the time and he wants to do the Aveira, he has to become an atheist. He has no choice. This guy is not an atheist. This guy is a Baltaiva. This guy wants to do sins. So right now, he's got to put God on his God. If God can't exist. He's a very smart guy. So he took away God. So now, he can do whatever he wants. I said, this is not Kabbalah. This is a no-brainer. This guy knows there's a Hashem. He was brought up. He's smart. He learned Torah. He knows the secrets. He knows everything. He had to get rid of... He had to eat on Yom Kippur. He had to eat on Yom Kippur. Because he eats on Yom Kippur, he's saying, I don't believe in all of this. If I don't believe in all of this, I can commit adultery. So that's what we all do. We have to get rid of our shame. We have to make it right because we're human beings and we don't want to do things that are wrong. So Chava made a big Kiddush Hashem, but the problem was that no matter how big Kiddush Hashem, Hashem said you can't eat from the tree. You can't start making your own judgment. If the Torah says you can't dress like this, then you can't dress like this. If the Torah says you can't talk to a man, then you can't talk to a man. Now you're going to tell me it's a Kiddush Hashem and I'm, and I'm saving and I'm doing this. No. Allah is, you can't talk to him. Finished. You can't make it right. And in the end, in the end, that breaking of what is right, in the end, you're going to throw the whole thing away. Because the more wrong you do, the more you have to throw Hashem further away. I'll give you the perfect example. In Pashas Vayera. In Pashas Vayera, there's a place called Sidaim. Terrible place. Every kid learns that, right? They took her in honey. They hung her up. Oi! Hashem wanted to destroy Sodom. You go there now, get nice baths, right? Salt and minerals and you guys get mud packs and all the stuff that comes from the, from the Dead Sea. It's a beautiful place, right? But it used to really be a beautiful place. But they were terrible, terrible people. But you want to know something? I think if I didn't have a Torah, I would agree with Sodom. Let me tell you Sodom's logic. Sodom's logic was like this. If you're a poor person, and you come to Saddam to collect tzedakah, the punishment is as follows. They take you to a room, and there's two beds in that room. A long one, and a short one. If you're a very tall person, they put you onto the short bed, and they cut your legs off, and they cut your body until you fit into the bed. And of course, you die. You bleed to death. If you're very short, they put you into the big bed, and then they pull you apart, until you fit the bed, and therefore, of course, you die, they pull your legs out of the joints, your neck out of, your head out of its joint, and everything until you fit the bed. This was Sodom. A bunch of crazy people? A bunch of savages? A bunch of cannibals? No. Tzaddikim. Why were they Tzaddikim? Because they said the following. If you are a poor person, God made you a poor person. And therefore, who has a right to change what Hashem made? So therefore, if you give charity to a poor person, right? If you give charity to a poor person, then you are mixing into God's business. Then you're an apikairist. Then you're blasphemous. Then you're a sinner. How dare you mix into God's business? Therefore, if a person's poor and he's starving, you have to let him starve. That's what Hashem wants, or he wouldn't be poor. And if a person's sick, they wouldn't they allow doctors. If a person's sick and he's dying... A doctor can't interfere and give him medicine. If you interfere and give him medicine, he dies, and we kill you too. No, what's so bad with that logic, everybody? I agree with him. Why are we mixing it with God? If someone's poor, that's what Hashem wants. If Hashem wants them not to be poor, they won't be poor. If someone's sick, that's what Hashem wants. Why are we healing them? I like the logic. It makes a lot of sense. And you want to know how smart they were? They said, and how are we going to punish this poor man? Mash Sadiqim. Mida can I get Mida? He's coming, a poor man. 
He's not happy with what he is. He's not happy being a poor man. He wants to be a rich man. He wants to change his life by collecting. Oh, you're not happy with yourself? Then I guess if you're short, you're not happy. We'll make you long. I guess if you're long, you're not happy. We'll make you short. Neither can I get neither. Beautiful. I like this place. It's logic. It's beautiful logic, and it makes sense. Where are, who is it? If a, if a woman falls on the street, I should pick her up. If Hashem wanted her to fall on the street, let her pick herself up. I'm going to interfere with what Hashem does? Somebody has no money for food? I'm going to be Hashem? I'm going to get interfered? This was Sedaim's Machshava. And they lived by this rule, and they felt like they were big tzaddik. Lot, who was Avram's nephew, said to Avram Avinu, I'm going to Sedaim. Why are you going to Sedaim? I'm going to change them. I'm going to change them. Really, why did he go to Sedaim, says the Torah? Because he saw the land was good and plentiful and beautiful. So really, he went to Sedaim because of the materialism. But he had to make it right. How can anyone go to Sedaim, right? I need to go to the village. What are you doing in the village? I'm opening a shul. I'm going to San Francisco. What are you doing in San Francisco? Are you crazy? With all those mushchasim over there? You crazy? I'm opening a shul. You don't belong there. But he wanted to go to Sodom because of what Sodom was. So you know what? I'm really going to change them. So what happens when the Malachim come to Sodom and says that Lot was sitting by the Shah, it says Rashi, that day he became the head judge of Sodom. So he got his position. If it was true what he said, he got his position. He now can change. He's a Supreme Court. One man Supreme Court. He could change Sodom. You want to know what he did on his first ruling? His first ruling, right? Lot, came from Abram. His first ruling was his following. Three malachim were in his house. The Sodomites came to the door and said, give us those, mal- give us those people out. They're not allowed to be, there's no guests in Sodom. We don't take any guests. If Hashem wanted them to be in your house, they would live in your house. But they're in the streets because Hashem wants them to be in the street. So break, give them out. Now here was Lot's first judgment call, right? First judgment call. What did he do? He said, I'm not giving them you, but here are my two daughters. Do whatever you want with them. And threw him out the door. Hello? That's Avram Avinu's justice? That's, that's how you're changing Sidon? Most people, right, will die for our children. Here he's saying, I gotta save myself and these malachim and these guests. So here are my two daughters. Whatever you want till they're dead. That's what he said. Because if you're in a place of mushchasim, where, where people are making wrong things right, this is what's going to happen. You're going to become just as twisted as them. And therefore, it always bothered me. What was this vikuach of, and we're going a little bit ahead, of Avraham and Hashem about 50, 40, 45, 30. He was asking Hashem a very interesting question. He said, Hashem, they have this logic over there. What is that logic based on? Is that based on, like the story I just told you, that really they're a bunch of cheap, miser, bitter, mean people. That's who they are. So they had to create a Torah that you can't mix with God to make their bad decisions right. Or really, are they tzaddikim? Do, are they, do they really mean that you don't mess with a God, what he's doing? What are they? What are they? What came first, the atheist or the adulteress? Which, which is first over here? So Ramam said, is there 50... Real ones there? Hashem said, nope. Are there 40 real ones that are really doing it because they feel it's right? Hashem said, nope. 30? Nope. Only Hashem knows what your real machshav is. To the world, they look like they have this unbelievable judgment. Don't mess with God's law. Are there 20? No. Are there 10? No. Abraham Avinu said, aha. So their whole basis of this whole business that they call their religion about not giving tzedakah is not that they want... To show the world that you don't that you don't mess in Hashem's business, but they want to be cheap and they want to be murderers and they want to torture people. And they made that came first, and afterwards they made this law to make it fit. How many of us live a life like that? That we go on the internet, and I know I talk about this a lot, but I can't talk about it enough. We go on the internet. And then we make it kosher. And I never got so much reaction in my life about any subject that I did a Facebook. And I knew that the minute I spoke about Facebook, 
that I got so much reaction, I knew right away, Hashem, there's not even 10 out there that are really on Facebook to do a mitzvah. That if I went and asked Hashem the same question Avram asked about Stoma, I would get the same answer. She wants to be on Facebook. She wants to have friends. She wants to see everything that's going on. So she had to make it kosher. So she has a Shatorah connected to it, and Torah anytime maybe, and something else that's good. So what came first? What came first is you want to do the thing that's wrong. But you got to make it kosher. So you got to have something good on there. And that's how he, how the Yetzirah got us all on the cell phone, on the Facebook, on the internet. He made there something kosher in there. There's something kosher. But if you really look into it, why do I need to be on the internet? Really why? And the answer is because I want to be. Because I want to talk to people. And I want to be all over the place. And sometimes I want to go check out those sites I'm not supposed to. That's Hashem really why I want to be. But now I'll tell you, uh, I'm only there because I need it for school and, and this and that. And all the people who don't have internet can't go to school. Nebuch. They can't be alive. And I need my cell phone. Why do I need my cell phone? Because my mother needs to know where I am all the time. But you haven't called her in four weeks. So really, why do you need the cell phone? So first you need the cell phone because you know you want it for the wrong things. And then you make it kosher. And that's what Avraham Avinu asked Hashem. What's going on here in Stone? They're walking around saying like they have this new religion. It sounds, sounds what? Are they really tzaddikim? Hashem said, no. And it's very, very, very true. And that's how I knew that this guy, he was no atheist. He was no atheist. He had to do an Avera. And then he had to make that Avera go away. There's no God. There's no Avera. In all the Sifrei Musa, the books of Musa, says that there's no Jewish person in the world that has an Hashem, a Jewish person, that's an atheist. <coughs> I'll show it to you in ten different Svarim. doesn't exist that a Jewish soul can be an atheist. Why? How do you know that a Jewish soul can't be an atheist? Because the Jewish soul is part of God. So the Jewish soul, when you're part of something, you can't deny it. So if you're not part of it, you're a guy, and you're not, you're not part of Hashem's soul, so to say, so then you can say it doesn't exist, but it's like a lamb, and the foot of the lamb says, I'm not part of a lamb. What are you, silly? Of course you're part of a lamb. So the Sifri Muslims say, any Jew walks up to you and says, I don't believe that there's a God, it's a lie. He knows there's a God, but he's doing some big sinning. And therefore he has to get rid of God. If that person wasn't doing any sinning, he has no problem having God. And he would be able to reach HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's part of the consequence of sinning. So I want to tell you, it's very late, I want to tell you an amazing story from the Alta of Navadek to explain to you that a person is not allowed to make calculations if there's, if you're, if there's a halacha, and that's the law, and that's the rule. Don't start changing it to make it work for yourself. And you know what? If someone asks you a question, send them to a rabbi. If they really go to the rabbi, I will bet you, I know I'll bet you, but I will guarantee you that if someone walked over to you and asked you, why do women, Jewish women have to cover their elbows and this and that, and you said, go to the rabbi of the whole house and ask him, 10 out of 10, I'm not going to the, they're not going to the whole house. You say, why don't you go to the rabbi? Oh, yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow, next week. But really, you know, I'd like to hear your answer. I don't want to hear the rabbi's answer. Ooh, he thinks more of me than the rabbi. Ha! It all, it's all based in guys. Huh? That's where it comes from. Did you ever think of that? If someone asks you a question that gives you already some respect, it's amazing. If you ask me, you don't ask anybody else. Automatically, as a human being, you want to answer. It's very hard to do what I'm telling you to do. If you want to answer, uh, nobody asks me anything. Wow. You know, I could sit with this guy for 10 hours and give him information. Nobody ever asked me for any information. So you got to hear this story. A story like this. A big chat. And then I'll, I'll end with a bracha. The story like this. He, it's from the altar from the Vatican. He says the following. There was a king. Okay, all my stories. And he had a prince. He had a son who was a malach. The kid was smart, studious. He was... Uh, a tsnua. He, 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 he always walked around, you know, fully dressed and, and with a tie and he was just one of these very special kids. And this king was always talking about his son. Anyway, his son, his son became 18 years old. He said, listen, you're the prince. You gotta see other kingdoms. I want you to go out for the next year and I want you to go to many other kingdoms and come back in a year 
And I want you to learn from other kings, but I want to warn you about one thing. Kings and, and their children and noblemen, they like to make wagers. They like wagers, bets. Horse betting, card betting, uh, ter- um, pigeon racing. It was a very, in the, no- the nobles used to like, used to bet on anything. They would bet, you know, uh, if the waitress is going to bring out the coke first or the seltzer first. They were very into, this was like a princely thing to do. He says, one thing I'm asking as my son, no matter what, for the next year, you don't wager, you don't bet with anyone. And the son said, Dad, did I ever bet in my life? What are you worried about? I'm not, I don't gamble. This is not my, this is not who I am. He says, I know you're the best boy in the world. I'm just begging you, do not wager. Okay, this boy goes out and he starts going from country to country and every country he goes to, they want to bet him on this and they want to bet him on that and they want to have a horse race and he's like, I could do anything but I can't make a wager. My father said no. Baruch Hashem, he goes through the whole year, he goes from country to country, he writes notes, he learns and he meets a lot of new people. It's great. He's got one country left, and then he's going home. Nope, he sends a message to this country that I, the prince of Monaco, whatever it is, I'm coming to your country, and um, I'd like to meet the king. He comes to the castle of this country, of this king, and he walks into this banquet hall, and in the banquet hall are 300 noblemen and their wives sitting at the, most, the biggest feast this, this prince ever saw in his life. And sitting on the dais is the king with a chair next to him for the prince. And the prince walks in and he says, Welcome everybody, I am the prince of Monaco and it's my pleasure to sit tonight with your king for dinner. And everybody stands up. The king gets up out of his chair, says, Sit down everybody. Everybody sits down, what's going on? He says, This boy, this is not a prince. His father's not a king. He's not a prince. I know this boy since he's a little kid. Everybody's looking. Prince says, what are you talking about? He says, he is a slave. He worked in our kitchen as a kid. His father worked in our kitchen. This whole thing is a bluff. This is not a prince. I know this boy from a long time ago. Prince says, excuse me, sir, but I'm the prince of Monaco. My father's the king of Monaco. How could you say that I'm a slave? And the king looks at him and says, you're telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about? You worked in my kitchen. He said, I saw you once working on the floor in the kitchen. You were wearing shorts and on your thigh was a huge purple birthmark. I know who you are. And the boy says, what are you talking about? I'm the Prince of Monaco. And the king says, yeah, you're the Prince of Monaco? 50,000 gold diners says, you pull your pants down and you have a purple birthmark on your thigh. You're the servant that worked in my kitchen. And this prince is, he's on fire. Only a slave. And he says to himself, it's a wager. He's betting me 50,000 gold dinars. But my father said I'm not allowed to bet. But if I don't bet, and I don't pull my pants down and show my thigh, then they're all going to think that I'm a slave. But what is he going to do? He's in a pickle. He promised his father. And all of a sudden he had a brilliant idea. He said, what's a wager? What's a bet? A bet is when you bet, you wager on something, you bet on something, you have a chance, 50% chance to win, 50% chance to lose. He said, I know! I don't have a birthmark on my thigh. This is not a bet. This is not a wager. I know. He says, this is not a wager. You got it. Opens his pants, drops him to the floor in front of all these people, and he says, here, you see a birthmark? And the king says, oh my goodness, pick your pants up. I'm sorry, I embarrassed you. I, I, I don't know, what, what am I going to tell you? Father, I, I made a mistake. You looked exactly like this. <gasps> please sit next to me. Please forgive me. Here's your 50,000 gold dinars. I, I, I can't believe I did this to you. Please tell your father that I'm sorry and that I, that I can't believe I did this. Please tell him what happened and that I made this huge mistake and, 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 and take this money home and give it to him. And, and, and I, I, I can't, I'm sorry. All right, happens, make mistakes. Boy comes home to his father. Far sitting there, he says, No, tell me about your year. He says, It's a pretty good year. Dad, I gotta tell you, there's one weird king. He says, What do you mean there was one weird king? He said, The last king I went to. Something wrong with him. He says, What do you mean? Tell me what happened. He says, I come in there, and there's these 300 couples sitting, huge banquet, and I'm walking up to my seat at the, di- at the dais, and this guy gets up, and he says, That I'm a slave, and I'm a servant, and I'm a kitchen. Yeah, yeah, and what happened? 
And, and then he says to me, how do I know? You have a birthmark. He says, the guy's cracked. And then the Meshuggah takes out 50,000 gold dinars and says, I'll bet you, you take your pants down that you have a birthmark. So, 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 so what did you do? He said, well, of course I took my pants down. I said, what are you talking about? I don't have no birthmark. And look, Dad, I have 50,000 gold dinars. And his father turns white. And he says, I can't believe you. Didn't you promise me that you wouldn't wager? Yeah, but it's not a wager because a wager is only 50-50 and I knew that I didn't have a birthmark, so it's not really a wager, so it's so I didn't really break your word. Yeah, 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 yeah. Father said, this is not this is the outer from the vibe, because you know who this is from. This is from the biggest, the most holy of the holies. And the father turns to the son and says, He was right! You're not a prince! You're now a servant and a slave. He looks up at his father. What are you talking about? He says, that king and myself have been at war for 20 years. We are fighting over this piece of, a certain piece of land. And I'm losing soldiers and he's losing soldiers. Last year he came to me and he said he's fed up of hearing me talk about you. Such a good boy, such a smart boy, such a modest guy. And he said to me, he made me a bet that he could get my son, you, to take your pants off in front of 300 couples. And I said, never, ever would my son do something like that. And therefore, we made a bet. If you don't keep your pants on and you don't wager, his country belongs to me. If you take your pants down and you wager... Our country belongs to him. We are now servants to this king. This is what the Alta from Nevadic said this story. What's the story? Girls, what's the story? The story is like this. The Zayah says that every Nishamala, every Jew, everyone, everyone sitting in this room, every Jew in the world, before that Nishama comes down to this world, Hashem comes to visit that Nishama. Every one of you. Every person in this room. And he visits the neshama before he sends it down to this world. And he makes the neshama swear, swears to Hashem, that I'm going down to that world and I'm going to keep you 613 mitzvahs. No problem. No brainer. Neshama? A neshama? Hashem's always talking about the neshama. A Jew's neshama? It's going to do an Aveira? It's a prince. It's modest. It's perfect. It's Hashem's pride and joy. Right? And Hashem sends us down to this world. And He gives us 613 mitzvahs. And then Hashem says, yeah, 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 no problem. Me? Avera? Ah, what are you talking about? And the, and the ones, the good people, we come down here, and there's certain mitzvahs, you can't talk to a man, you can't, all the mitzvahs of tzniyas, of the things that we do, all these things, they're all very clean and very straight. And Hashem says, keep them, keep them. There's going to be a lot of Yetzirahs trying to change you and talk you into all kinds of stuff. And then we come back. Hashem says, no, Neshamala, how was your trip? Yeah, there, there, went here, went there, yeah, bought a new car, I met this person, I got married, I had children, and this, and that. But there's a couple of weird things that happen along the way. And Chris, well, what happened? Well, this time, I thought it was a mitzvah, I did a, and it's not really what you meant, it wasn't a... Sneas is, is, is about a person's modesty and, and so, so what's wrong with pants? And what's wrong with this? And what's wrong with that? Because you, you, you're totally covered if you wear pants. It's good time, Totally covered. So is pants good or not? I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But let's look at it. Maybe it's good. What does the tire say? If the tire says it's good, it's good. The tire says it's not good, it's not good. Talking to a man, is it good or not good? I'm being Macarim, I'm helping him, I'm emotionally helping. Does the tire say you can talk to a man? Does the tire say that a single girl can talk to a married man? Absolutely not. It's a, it's a halacha, right? She's talking to him because she's doing a mitzvah. So you're losing the wager. And the, and the, and the prince and the princess, you want a shama, that's the prince and the princess, becoming the slave. All in the name of God. All in changing in our minds the law to make it fit into what we want. Ask, ask, 
Is pants okay? Is this sneer stick? Is talking to a man okay? Is being on the internet okay? Ask a rav. You're scared to ask a rav? You're scared to ask the wife of the guy you're talking to? Then you're doing something wrong. Then by making it right, you're doing something wrong and you're just making it right. Chava, you didn't ask! If it was so right, why didn't you ask? Because you knew there was something wrong. Because the bottom line is, it's a big Kiddush Hashem what you did, but Hashem told you not to. Don't make your own chashbainas, your own judgmental. Hashem said no, it's no. Don't you as a human being figure out a way to make it yes. And that is such an important lesson. So what was the woman's punishment? Her punishment was childbirth, we know. Separate reason, we're not going to get into that tonight, why childbirth, what does that have to do with eating from the tree? But her other punishment was, for who yimshol bach, he will serve your husband. He will be the master of you. You like it, you don't like it, I'm up to date, I'm not up to date, I'm part of the generation, Rabbi, uh, uh, the Torah, I don't say this, that's what the Torah says. What does it mean, who yimshol bach? Yeah, he's going to make the money, you're going to depend on him. You're going to depend on him. The way Hashem set up the world, it would be a very nice world that the husbands would take care of their wives the way they're supposed to. And, and, and Taka, she would listen to him and he would listen to her. But the, 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 the moishel, you can only have one moishel in the house, what yeshiva the kids go to and, and, and he would take advice from her. But the bottom line decision, the Torah says, would have been, it was supposed to be his. What kind of punishment? Why, why? Because she ate from the Eitzhadas, she now has to listen to her husband. Because she should have asked her husband. So what's the punishment for not asking your husband? From now on, from ever, you're going to have to ask your husband for everything. Mida, connected Mida. That's the punishment. Why? What's the punishment? That he's going to be the boss? Yeah, because you should have asked him. You should have told the Nachash, I don't know. It's not my thing. You ask Adam, he spoke to Hashem. You didn't ask him, now from now on, the rest of your life, you're going to be asking him for everything. Mida, connected Mida. You gotta ask. There's nothing wrong with asking. You gotta ask the right person. Yes, I rub. <coughs> if, you, if you're ashamed to ask the rub, because Rabbi, when I ask the rub, I know what the answer is gonna be, then that's the real answer. Said Avraham to Hashem, are there ten tzaddikim in Sidon? Is this whole thing about cutting the legs off because they don't want to interfere with Hashem? No. Because they want to do Averis, because they're Hashem. So they created a religion around the Avera. My bracha to everyone is just a, a, a thought. So this week's parsha is Noah. Hashem destroys the world, but He keeps Noah alive. That comes out of the table. He, he, we'll talk about the vineyard next week. So my question in my head was: You created a perfect world. Chava ruined that. She ate from the etzadas. Adam ate from the etzadas. Now there's bad and there's good. Now Cain kills his own brother. Now the next ten generations. They're doing every sin that you can imagine. Why don't you just start over again? Start over again, Hashem. You're, you're, you're killing everybody anyway, except these five, right? Destroy everything. Start a new world with a new Eitz Hadas. Let's try again. The world was already imperfect. It's not perfect anymore. You see that how they're behaving. So why, are you st- why aren't you starting all over again? So I heard something amazing. I have to leave you with this thought. By the way, that's why Hashem didn't start over again because Hashem kept the world for Avraham, because Avraham was chesed and the whole basis of the world was chesed. And Hashem said, why do I need to start a whole world over again for chesed? I got a Jew. I got a man that's going to do exactly what I do. He's going to have a house that just gives and gives and gives and gives. So the reason I created the world was for chesed. So the world will remain for those 10 generations. You're right, Rabbi Wallerstein. You're right. I should have destroyed it. Says the Mishnah, why didn't Hashem destroy those ten? Because Abraham was coming. Abraham was coming, so therefore the only reason they lived was in the credit of Abraham. That's why the Mishnah says he gets the credit for all those ten generations. Because it wasn't for him, he would have wiped everyone off. So I heard a beautiful thought, and I want to leave you with this thought. So, there, so there, there's imperfection in the world. There's a, there's a Yetzirah, right? There's bad and there's good. That's not a perfect world. The world is not perfect if there's bad. And somebody said to me, Rabbi Wallstein, Imperfection is the perfection of the world. I said, okay, give that, you know, break it down a little bit. The imperfection, 
that there is Bechira, that we have a choice, which is imperfection. Perfection is you have no choice. Everything's good. You walk around, food's good, family's good, everything's good. That's the perfect world. What's the perfect world? No choice. Everything's good. Wrong. Wrong. The world, the perfect world, why Hashem created this way and the answer that we're not going to get into, but the perfect world to bring Mashiach is to choose good, 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 good. But there's bad in the world. The perfect world is imperfection. How do I explain something that's very simple? I'm a stamp collector. There's a stamp, there's many stamps, but there's a stamp. When they printed it, instead of writing USA, they wrote U and A and they forgot the S. About three stamps were made like that before they caught it. You know what those three stamps are worth? Millions! The stamps that were, were fixed USA after that, you know what they're worth? 13 cents. So the imperfection of the stamp gives, it, give, gives the stamp its value. Picasso picked up on it and made a lot of money on it. Everybody was painting and being judged for their paintings in perfection. Oh, look at that river. You mamash, when you look at it, you think you're standing by the river. That's a good painter. The perfect painting. The perfect face. Wow, you look at her, you think she's alive. Came along, Picasso said, wrong. Perfection is imperfection. I'm going to do abstract painting. Abstract painting, nothing. There's symmetry, of course, but there's, there's no face. The first person who looked at it said, you want me to buy that? I wouldn't give you a quarter. What kind of face is that? Where's the nose? Where are the eyes? There's no ears on this thing. What, are you crazy? Get out of my house. He understood that the most imperfect painting is going to make the most money because that is the most perfect painting. You know why? Because there's something called translation. If you have a painting, we all look at it and I say, what do you see in that painting? And you all scream, a grandmother. Don't buy it. But if I put a painting up on the wall and say, what do you all see? And one girl says, grandmother. No, that's not a grandmother. That's a, a sick woman. No, that's a, 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 a middle-aged woman. No, that's a... And everyone's... I don't even know if that is a woman. And, right? And... Maybe it looks like a guy, maybe dressed like a woman. I don't know what that is. You know what? It's not even a painting. So it's a shadow. Oh, no, it's a reflection. I'm going to buy that painting. That's the perfect painting. Because each one of you has a different translation. That every person in this room, every Jew, has an ashama. We all have different imperfections. All of us. Some people have Yetzirah for this, some people have Yetzirah for this, some people fall for this, some people have a midah of kas, they get angry, some people are cheap. Everybody has all these imperfections. That's your perfection. That's what makes you different. That's what makes you valuable. That's why the human being's life has, a, has an infinite value. You can't give a value on a person's life, but take a cow, right? How much is it worth? You put it on a scale and you weigh it, and that's how much it's worth. Because they're all the same. They don't have a Yetzirah. They're all the same. Not one cow has more cost or is cheaper than another cow. They're all the same. And being all the same, which you would say perfection. They're all the same. Look, perfect cows, right? They're all the same. That's an imperfection that they're all the same. The perfection in Hashem's world is that each one of us is different. And when you realize that, when you realize that your imperfection is what makes you perfect, then you can start growing. You take a diamond... That's four carats. And it's color blue. And it's no flaws. Four carats, a million dollars. Take that, put a flaw into it, it becomes worth $20,000. But if you have a diamond that has a flaw in the middle of it, and you know what that flaw is in the middle of that diamond? It's four carat, color right, but it has a flaw. The flaw in the middle of the diamond is somehow etched in the floor a rose. In the middle of the diamond, you're looking at it, and somehow Hashem created through how a diamond comes from coal. Hashem did this miracle. I don't know how He did it, but this diamond is flawed. But the flaw in the diamond is the most beautiful sketching of a rose. What's the value of that diamond? Infinite. Infinite. But, but Rabbi Wallace, it has a flaw. 
Yeah. But it has a flaw in it that no other diamond has. So the flaw in the diamond that no other diamond has makes the diamond the most perfect diamond in the world. And therefore, every person in the world, the flaw that you have in you is not in the next person. In the diamond, there's this rose, there's this flaw in all of us, is not, and that's what makes every human being worth Takarish Baruchu infinite, because we're all different. Don't have to be the same, we're all different. But, what Akarish Baruchu says in his 613 mitzvahs is not open to your translation. It's open to a Rav's translation. And therefore, don't try to make it kosher. And most of us, if we really think why we're doing it, we realize that the Aveira is coming before the mitzvah. Everyone's talking about Mashiach, the Karav. I'm not making you any predictions. I made a prediction this morning, and I made a prediction yesterday morning, and I made a prediction the morning before, and I've been making predictions for a very long time. I believe don't worry about who's going to become president don't worry about who's going to become vice president you know what, it don't make a difference because the president of all presidents is still God and he runs the world and everybody else runs around you've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com